morning, Oklahoma. How you doing today? And yeah, you guys have a good Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. Well, can we just admit we're all a little tired, right? And, and I don't mean just tired because of the fireworks going off at the neighbors or even in our own driveway last night. I mean, we're tired collectively in this season, aren't we? We have this collective feeling of being frustrated and uncertain and worn out and tired. This COVID pandemic has accelerated and accentuated division and divisiveness and problems. And this pandemic has reshaped our lives. It has rearranged every part of the way we do life here. That This lockdown is something so different. And what I'm about to say is not a judgment on how anyone has handled the lockdown. Uh, I, I appreciate all those who lead in organizations and at levels way bigger than I lead at this church. But just leading at this church, there are so many decisions, so complicated, there's so much going on. So for those who lead in the government, this is not an assessment of what they've done or did or did not do. But I do want us to identify that there are things that seem to be a correlation to this lockdown, that when we've isolated ourselves and we've separated ourselves, and that's become the language of the day, is to separate and distance, that there are other things that happen whenever a people does that. That, that during the season, there's so much on the rise, and, and the things we've seen rising are not the things we want to see rise. A, a rise in unemployment. Oh, we know that. That's not a surprise. But we know that with that goes a rise in stress and a rise in other challenges, that poverty is on the rise and homelessness is on the rise and addiction is on the rise. And just choose your drug, watch it, view it, snort it, smoke it, it's on the rise, right? Drink it, it's, it's on the rise. That there's a rise, American Psychological Association says the cases of, of anxiety and depression are skyrocketing. The numbers of domestic disputes we see right now skyrocketing. The number of child abuse cases for injuries and deaths in the hospitals, skyrocketing. There's so much happening. And, and the suicide rate, difficult to, to get the exact numbers on it during the season it's happening. But suicide hotlines, have some have seen a, a more than double increase in the amount of calls you're getting during the season. And, and hospitals and and Corners are dealing with all that. And we're seeing a rise in suicide. The, the things that we're seeing just, just all speak of this, this tidal wave of hopelessness. Like, like despair has been on the rise. So happy weekend. I hope that makes you feel a little bit right. Like that's not the news we want, is it? Like all these things on the rise. And so we look out, we, we survey the landscape. So, so what's God's answer to it all? What, what does God say about this? What, what, what's God's solution for it? Well, look around. Look, look at the people sitting next to you. Look, look at the people sitting around you. If, if you're joining us online today, we're, we're glad you're with us. And, and just look at the other people in your room. If you're joining us online and you're alone where you are, look at the people in the chat space. Look around. What's God's solution to the hopelessness in the world? You are. We are. Church, together, we are the hope of the world. Right, that the local church is the hope of the world. We have what the world needs. We have the hope the world needs. 
When Jesus was teaching his followers what to pray and how to pray, part of what he taught them was this. He said, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, many times when we think of heaven, we, we have this idea of this far off distance, distant place up there later. That this future hope that we have that someday, someday this will all be behind us. Someday it will all be better. Someday I'll be there and this won't be anymore. Someday I'll be in heaven. Oh, may that come quickly, right? But, but that's only part of it. And if, if that's the only idea we have of heaven, it's that future someday out there somewhere, then we're missing a big part of what God is up to in the right now, in the right here. It's the tension of the now and the not yet, of the, the reality that we don't yet get to fully experience all the beauty and the joy and the peace of heaven. But... Don't miss what Jesus said. Let's put that scripture up again real quick. He said, may your kingdom come when, where? Not then and there, but now, here, on earth, among us. May your kingdom happen right here, right now. That's what Jesus desires for us. Jesus spent a lot of his life, a a lot of his teaching time at least, talking about the kingdom of God. He spent so many conversations. That's why he was here, right? Like Jesus came to to bring heaven here, to to usher God's kingdom into this world and to teach us the kingdom and to introduce us into that kingdom and to invite us to find our place in that kingdom. But the people that he talked to, like they, they didn't understand, they missed it. Even his closest friends and followers, they missed it all the time. And we can't blame him for that, right? Like, God's kingdom is so radically different than anything we could imagine, anything they could imagine, anything they could, you know, expect. Like their idea of the kingdom of God coming was was the idea of an earthly king on an earthly throne, overthrowing their earthly enemies, setting up earthly systems of power and earthly systems of justice to make all things right. Like, Like that's what they anticipated. And Jesus comes and he's talking about this kingdom and he's talking about these abstract ways and it's like so different. And even after Jesus died and was resurrected, he hung out with his buddies, his disciples for 40 days. Like we don't have a lot of accounts of, the, of those conversations. Like I wish we did. I, I wish we had like the dialogue of the 40 days of conversation after Jesus came back from the grave. But one of the things we know is that he spent most of that time talking to them about the kingdom. Like the book of Acts, which chronicles the the beginning of the church and this interaction that Jesus had with his followers, tells us that he hung out with them for 40 days and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. There's a little snippet in there. Like Like of all things that it could say he talked about, that was the thing that it mentions, is the kingdom. And still his disciples were like, so, so when are you doing this? Like, when are you stepping on the throne? Like, how is this going to happen? And what, like, our kingdom and all this. And they still missed it. They didn't get it. And then Jesus left. He went to heaven. Like, he's gone. And in that moment, it clicks for him. Like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. This is what he's talking about. Like, here and now kingdom. Like, the, 
the kingdom of heaven has come. Like, that's why Jesus was here. That's what the cross did. Like, the cross, that, that glorious intersection between the now and the not yet of God's kingdom coming, crashing into earth. So we're part of that kingdom. And, and when Jesus left, he left the mission of the kingdom in the hands of his followers. And they're like, so we got to invite everybody else to be part of this. Uh, we got to introduce everybody else to this kingdom. we, we got to make sure they're part of this. Like, let's get on this. And then, then they did. The, the book of Acts chronicles the, the early start of the church, right? Like the beginning of the church. Acts chapter 1 introduces us to the time when Jesus was talking to his disciples, and then he left and went to heaven. And then Acts chapter 2 introduces us to like the, the birth of the church, if you will. And it was during that season, during this, this book of Acts, right, that we see this encounter of Jesus' followers with all these other religious people. Because it was at a festival, religious festival, and thousands upon thousands of people flocked to Jerusalem, right? Like the temple, the religious center. And they were all coming, well-intentioned, to worship God. Like they were all there for the right purposes. We're here to encounter you afresh, God. We're here to do this thing. We're here for the religious festival. And these were the insiders, right? Like these are the, the, the religious insiders, the Jewish people, the people of God, and they're coming. And they all get together in the city. And then Peter, Jesus, like one of his best friends, preaches this message. I'm not going to preach the whole message, but just going to give you snippets of it. And Peter says this, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. And by saying that, he's like, you remember that dude from Nazareth? The one who walked among you? The one who did miracles and signs? And like, you saw him, you met him. Some of you shook hands with him. You had dinners with him. You know who I'm talking about. You, you've heard the stories. You saw him from this. Some of you saw him up close. This Nazarene. And he endorsed him by powerful miracles and wonders, signs through him, as you well know. He's not letting him off the hook. You know who this guy is. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, all right, let's pause right there. Law, he's not talking like civil law and like government law. He's talking religious law, all right? So for the, the Israelites, the law of God, right, the holy commands of God. And the Gentiles were simply the, the people who were not part of God's people. They, they weren't the Jewish people. They weren't the Israelites. They were the other people. They'd be like us, right? So with those, with those godless Gentile outsiders, with their help, you nailed Jesus to a cross and killed him. Like, that's a pretty bold sermon, right? Like, he gets up in front of these people and like, hey, remember Jesus, that guy? Hey, the one you killed? But God, and I love that phrase, right? There's so much in there. But God released Jesus from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Skipping ahead in the sermon, Peter goes on. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Let's understand that language, right? Lord, leader, right? He's the one in charge. Jesus is the leader of life. If we follow him, he should be the leader in our life. Made him Lord and Messiah. Messiah, he's the Savior. He's the one who will forgive your sins, who will save you from all that's wrong. Peter's words pierced the hearts of all who were listening. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what, what, what do we do with this? How do we respond to this? And Peter replied, Well, each of you, and I love that because there's this personal accountability, not like all of you, but like each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. 
Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to all those who are far away, everyone who God's going to call. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I like this guy. He's, he's my kind of preacher, right? He, he understands the value of a long sermon. Lots of words. Some translations say Peter continued to speak for a long time with many, many words. I'll spare you today. Don't worry. And he was strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, save yourselves. He's not saying like you have the power to save yourself. He's saying you grab hold of what God has done for you. And so all those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. That's a good day at church, right? You show up at church, 3,000 people get baptized. Like, all right, that was a mildly successful day, right? Peter's got to be feeling pretty good. Like, wow, look what God did. So that's this cool, like, the start of the church, right? In that moment, the church rises up. Like, that is the foundational beginning of the church. Boom, here it is. And God is raising up his church to do something. That, that's the remainder of the book of Acts. It's how God raises up his church to take that message into that community and then beyond. And eventually spread it all over the world, giving the hope of Jesus to everyone who will receive it. But let's not miss this. Before God raises up his church, he asks his people to bow down. Like before you can rise up, you must bow low. Before you can rise up, you must bow down. Now, let's not miss what was happening in this, in this moment in history. There were all these religious people who showed up, and they thought they were honoring God, right? Like they thought they had the inside track with God. Like we're here to do the God thing. We, we've come, we've shown up for this. We, we trekked all the way to this city, and we're here for the religious celebration. And then Peter gets up and he speaks this message to him, and they realize, wait, wait, wait. I thought I was tracking with God, but my compass has been broken. I, I'm, I'm a little bit off track. I, I thought I was tracking with him, but, but I'm not. I, this religious path I was on actually isn't God's path. It's, it's, it's the wrong path, and I've got to change the path I'm on. And there's so much humility for those who responded in this way. There's so much humility to say, I thought I was in the in crowd, but actually those outcast ragtag group of disciples who followed that, that homeless rabbi, those guys had the inside track. Church, don't miss the lesson in that for us. That those who thought they were lined up with God were actually out of alignment. The ones who thought they were in with God were actually not. They, they thought they were synced up with him, but they were, they were disconnected. And so what did they do? They repented. And, and that word repentance simply means you change your direction. Like you're going this way and you say, this is the way God, oh wait, no, that's wrong. Okay, I'm going to go the other way. This is the way God wants me to go. Like if you're trying to go to Florida, but you're heading north towards Indianapolis, you got to repent. You're going the wrong way. You're not going to get to Florida by going north, Right? Unless you go all the way around the globe. And that's about 24,000 miles. So you don't want to do it that way, right? Like that's a long road trip. You got to repent, you turn, you go the other way. That's what these religious people had to do. They thought they were going the right way. They weren't, so they repented. So how do they demonstrate that repentance? He uses the word baptism. And, and baptism can be this kind of this tough word for us. Because sometimes when we translate from one language to another, we, 
we, we change those words, right? If you ever go to another, uh, another country or sometimes even just other parts of the U.S., you've got to figure out what they're saying in different ways, right? Um, like you go to the deep south or you go up to New England, they're, they're going to use like a little bit different version of English. You've got to figure out what they're saying. You go to another country, it's not even English, right? You've got to figure out. So you translate over. And so we take the words they've said and we work it into our language. But sometimes we just take a word from another language and we come and pluck it in ours. And that's what we did with baptism. We didn't translate. It's called transliteration. We just kept that word. It's from the Greek word baptizo, right? the original language of the Bible. And here's what it means. To plunge or immerse or just to sink into. One of the ways this word was used was navies would talk of baptizing another ship. When they would sink a ship and it would sink down, like they, they would de- defeat the ship and it would sink in the harbor to sink out at sea. They had baptized them. They put them to death, immersed them, plunged them into water. And that's exactly what Peter is telling the crowd. All that way that you were living that was out of line with God, you've got to plunge that to death. You've got to sink that low so that you can rise up in a whole different way of living. This brand new way of doing life. A a new way of doing life with Jesus and for Jesus. But if you're going to know the life with Jesus, you've got to put to death the way of life that was not synced up with him. And I love the language that, that Peter uses as he talks about this because he says, then your sins are forgiven, right? That once you repent and you turn to God and you trust that what God has done will save you and there's nothing you can do to save you. And you demonstrate this by surrendering your life, plunging it to death, just like we saw a little bit ago, right? Putting the old way to death and coming alive in a new way. And he says, and the, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now that word spirit can be translated in three different ways. Spirit is one of them. It can also mean breath or wind. And so it takes us back, for those of you familiar with the Bible, in the opening chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, right? When you start, like you open up the Bible, it's right there. You you see that the Spirit of God hovers over and the wind of God blows. And we we see this, this working of the Spirit. And when God creates the first man, Adam, what does he do? He breathes his breath in Adam's nostrils. He breathes on him and and Adam comes alive. And so in our baptism, we have this receiving of the spirit, of the wind, of the breath of God. Like this is the life breath of God into your nostrils to breathe a totally new life into you. A brand new life. So you rise up into a new life. It's a recreation. It's a rebirth. The old dead, the new alive. That's what we see there. And there's so much hope in this. Like Because in that, we have the life of God within us. We have the power of God within us. We have a brand new hope birthed within us. So if you've never received that, if you've never received the new life Jesus desperately wants you to have, if you've never been baptized into him, why not? Like what is stopping you? What in your life, what in your world is more important than receiving the gift of forgiveness and life from Jesus? Whatever it is that would stand in your way, don't let it. Don't let that thing be your hurdle that keeps you from God. And and don't put it off to another day. Don't wait, because you know what happens. It's like, oh, man, I I should do that next week. 
No, like, you should do that now. Like, like Peter preaches this message, 3,000 people that day were baptized. If you have never synced your life up with God, today is your day. Don't wait. Don't delay. It's far too important for you. It is the most important decision you will ever make in life. And we would love to have that conversation with you. If you're joining us online and, and you want to have that conversation, you're ready to do that, you just simply type into the comments, I'm ready. If you're here today in person and you, you want to talk about that, you see us out in the concourse afterwards, there's a little counter off to the, the right, the guest connect. You stop by there, you talk to him. Don't delay, don't wait. Today is your day. And we'll figure out all the details later. Listen, we got everything you need to go ahead and take care of it right now. I'll do it right after the sermon if you want, right? Like it is that important. Don't wait. And, and I love what we see here, right? Because in this, we, we see the coming of the kingdom, right? That's the kingdom of God. People sinking their lives up to him, finding the hope that Jesus offers. Because wherever Jesus is, that's where hope is. Jesus came and he brought hope with him. So hope comes with Jesus and hope is right here because of Jesus. And Jesus' kingdom is this kingdom of hope. Hope that things won't just be better, but, you know, not just a better way of life, but a brand new life. Hope not just in this distant, far off future heaven, but hope in a heaven right here, right now, amongst us, in us, through us, with us, and in part because of us, because of God moving in us. And and, and as you read through that, like, we, we see that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of hope. And, and I know as, as you look at the words in that passage, the, the word hope doesn't show up. Right? Like it's not one of the words there, but hope is all over that passage. Like that's what it's about. It's there's this hope for us, for forgiveness and newness and true life. And, and when you receive that, like hold on. Because it changes everything. So, so if you're new to us today, even like that's step one. But if you've been following Jesus for a while, like the next part's for you, okay? So check out what happens in this Jesus community after they accept, right? 3,000 are baptized. And then all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals. I like that part especially. Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Don't lose that, right? They were wowed by God and what God was doing in them and through them and among them in their midst. Like, don't lose the holy wow of God, this awesomeness. And if you've never grabbed hold of the awe, like, you need to look again at who Jesus is. The God of heaven, of the universe, steps into our world for us, sacrifices himself for us so that he can save us. It's just a wow factor of that. And, and so this sense of awe overcame them. And then they performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. And they sold their property and they got rid of their possessions and they sold those. And then they shared the money with those in need. Like, think about this. This is radical. This is crazy, right? Like they sold everything and then they took care of other people. And they worshiped together at the temple, kind of what we're doing, every day or one day a week as we do it, and then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, right? So you, like, okay, they were in the houses and they're at the, the building, house building. It's kind of this, oh, small group and church, right? Not exactly the same, but you get the vibe of that, right? We, we carry some of those same things to today. And they shared their meals with great joy, and don't miss this word, generosity. All the while they were praising God and they were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
Right? 3,000 was just the start. Every day, more and more and more and more people coming to know Jesus, coming to be saved, joining in this Jesus movement. This is, this is crazy, right? Uh, church, there was once a community of believers, a, a community of Jesus followers, who were so radically transformed by what Jesus was doing in their lives that they became so radically devoted to God that they would do whatever God asked of them. There was once this community of people who followed Jesus and they were so radically changed because of Jesus that they became so radically devoted to Jesus and committed to him and his mission. And that because of that, they would do whatever Jesus asked them to do. And don't miss how other people viewed them. The the crazy sacrificial love these people had for one another and all those who weren't there yet as they were inviting them in, as they were loving them into their community, that crazy sacrificial love didn't draw the ire and the disdain of the community around them. It drew the wonder and respect of those. They looked on them with respect. They, They looked on them in such good ways with goodwill. You know why? Because they weren't just putting it out there in political statements or on social media or saying this is the way it should be or this is what's up. Because they were going to people and just loving them the way Jesus was moving them to love. Like it was this radically transformed movement of people who were just responding to the love of Jesus in their life that was leading them to go love other people in, in these radical ways. The remainder of the book of Acts details how this Jesus movement began to spread amongst that community and then from that community into that part of the world and then eventually through the rest of the world, right? Like, like, so we see this, this book of Acts. And, and if you're familiar with the Bible, if, if you look in your Bible, you'll notice that Acts has 28 chapters, right? Let's see, like you move through 28 chapters of Acts and, and, and then at the end, it's not like, oh, and then the church stopped. <laughs> like, no, you get this idea like, oh, it, it keeps going. And we know it keeps going. We've seen it keep going. We're here. We're 2,000 years later. Jesus is still present. The spirit is still moving. God's kingdom is still advancing. Hope is still on the rise through us. Like, it's still going. Church, here's what that means. It means that we are the 29th chapter of Acts. We are part of God's story. We have a place in his story. The story is continuing still today, right here, right now. And you have a part to play in it. So we bow low And we rise up with God so that he can send us out. But here's what so often happens. Like we surveyed the landscape of the world and there's there's problems and there's pain and there's challenges and there's all the ugliness of the world. And and, and the two ways that we tend to respond is first we say, God, just come back. Just give us that future heaven right now. Like light speed us through this thing. Would you just return? Would you just make it all better? Would you just take it all away? And that hasn't happened yet. So then our next response is, okay, let's hide from it. Let, let's gather up together and let's, let's hide from all of those people out there. And we might invite some of them to come in and join us, but let's, let's kind of gather up to protect. And to both of those, God says, no, 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 wait. You're missing it. Don't, don't try to just escape it. And don't don't try to hide from it. Go to it. 
The whole reason you're still there is to go to the world, to go to the mess. Don't escape it. Don't hide from it. I want you to change it. I want you to transform it. That's why you're there. That's your role in the story. Friends, if we have been changed by God, then we're to bring change to the world. If we have received the hope from Jesus, it's so that we can then overflow that hope and take that hope to other people. We are supposed to be hope bringers. Like, like that's your place in the story. And, and God has crafted a unique, specific role for you to play in a story to bring hope to a hopeless, hurting world. And let's not miss this. The, the New Testament is pretty clear that if we, if we don't do our part to bring his heaven here and now, we may not experience it then and there. If we are not actively involved in what God is up to in the here and now and bringing hope to this world, then I'm not sure we have a place in the heaven that's then and there. Like that's what Jesus tells us, right? He, he gives this whole thing about sheep and goats in one spot. And he's he's kind of laying that out for us. And so that means like in the sea of gloom of this, this gloomy, dark world, that's just like when all the evil is on the rise, the hope should be rising with it or even ahead of it, right? Like that's what Jesus desires for his followers is that we would be islands of hope in this sea of gloom, that, that we would be beacons of hope to people who don't have it. And so we are to bring hope and the world needs us to bring hope. Like, we don't do it, who else will? Who else can? Nobody can bring the hope that we can because nobody else has the hope that we have. They'll try, and we see it all the time. They'll try and do it through politics and through systems and through all these different programs. They'll try and do it through justice movements and social justice. Here's the deal. Social justice is, is okay, but, like, justice without Jesus is not justice, and it will fail. Here's what the world needs. They don't need movements and politics. They need the kingdom of God. They need the people of God to raise up and live the way Jesus calls us to do because that's the only hope that's going to make a difference. They need the kingdom people to live like the king has called them to live. That's where the hope is found. So, friends, here's what that means for us as the church, that we are the hope of the world. We as the church are the hope of the world because we have the hope of Jesus. And that is the only hope that matters. Every other thing we hope in will fail us. We have the hope of Jesus in us. And that's what the world desperately needs and wants. So we got to be hope bringers. This early community of believers were so changed by Jesus. I just, I can't get over that. If we've just added Jesus to our life, but nothing else has changed, like our plans for work and our plans for school and our plans for our happy married life and our plans for retirement and our plans for what we do with our money and what we do with our time and what we do with our sweat and our energy and our resources. If we've just simply added Jesus and none of that has changed, I'm not really convinced we've added Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. He changes every part of our lives. Like if COVID has reshaped our lives more than Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has reshaped our lives, We've missed it. Like we should be so radically reshaped by what Jesus is doing in us still. 
that it should change every part of our lives. I'm a bit of a dreamer, right? Like I, if you talk to my wife, she'll tell you, I, I, I dream all the time. It exhausts her. So I'm like, we should do this, we should do that, and we should build this. And like, and my staff, I, I think they get a little worn out too because all the time I'm like dreaming. And I'm like, well, let's do these grandiose things, right? And it's like, Fitz, let's make it through today, right? But will you just entertain me for a moment? Will you, will you just dream with me for a moment? Like what would it look like to replicate an Acts 2 community now? What, what would it look like in, in our day, in our time, in, in our city, in our community, in our church, in our homes to live? And I'm not saying exactly the same as the Acts 2 community, but that caliber, the, the same level of transformation and mission-mindedness. That like that's how we would define success in our lives is living up to an Acts 2 kind of standard. What, what, if, what if that were the thing? Like, can that happen? What if this church, right? Just dream with me for a moment. What if this church was known because of the way that we treated the hurting and the hopeless and the broken and the disenfranchised and the homeless? Just keep going. What if they were like our, our honored guest when they showed up? And they showed up because we brought them here. What, what if our church was known for the kind of love that goes to the least, the last, the lost, and the left out? And that was the thing that we were known for. What if our church were to become the place, like the place for racial reconciliation in Louisville? Like, what if our church were to be the place where we put all the politics and all the pandering and all the pundit thing aside, and we simply said, this is where we're going to love people with a ridiculous kind of acts to transform Jesus owns my life kind of love. Like, what if this were that place? What if this were the place where the single moms aren't feeling left out, but, but they're the ones who are like being brought in because... We've got people in the church to love on them and to, to help them out because we know how tough it is. Well, what if this were the place where we don't just help support kids on the other side of the world down in Honduras and Poland and in Africa, but we said, well, what does it look like to do like a child sponsorship thing to help the kids right here in our community, just, just down the road from us, maybe next door to us? And not just to support, not just to throw money at causes, but what if I throw my time into? What if I throw my energy into? What if this were the church that was known? Like when people retired from work is when they amped up their commitment to the kingdom mission. And they're like, I've retired from work so that I could be more heavily invested in God's call in my life. And that last season will be my best season. What if this were the place where people said, all that Sunday school learning I did for decades, I'm not going to flip that on its head. And I'm going to go and I'm going to love on some kid who doesn't have anybody else to love him, and I'm going to make the difference in his life. What if this were the place where that kind of thing was happening? Well, what if this were the place where the cycle of poverty were broken and destroyed? And we said, we're breaking the cycle of poverty because we're offering financial assistance to the people who are financially desperate, and we're offering coaching to them, and we're just going to walk beside them. And sometimes, maybe we'll just even let them in our house. 
Well, what if this is from the place where we're saying people come to know Jesus because we're not just inviting them to come to church with us, but we're inviting them to sit down at our dinner table and to have a place in our home. And we're inviting them to share their story before we share anything with them. And then we invite them to find their place in the grand story of what God is up to in this world. What if this were the place where every time somebody comes out of the water of baptism, there's somebody eagerly waiting to say, you're not walking this road alone. I got you. You're walking with me. Let me help you learn how to get started on this brand new life you got with Jesus. What if this were that kind of place where all the homeless and all the helpless and all the broken and the widows had friends, right? Like we're befriending the widows and we're loving on the orphans and we're making them not orphans anymore, but we're adopting them in and we're fostering them. And maybe that's not your thing, but that's where your finances come into place. What if this were the place where that kind of stuff was normal and changing us and it was radical and it was so different than the rest of the world sees. And I know I dream it, but church, I don't want to dream it. I want us to do it. Like that's what God has for us. I'm just going to be really honest. God has been wrecking me. I read God's word. It is wrecking me afresh in this season. As I survey the landscape of our world, and it is wrecked, I think God wants our hearts to be broken just like that. He wants our hearts to be broken for the things that break his heart. And he wants us to go headlong into the mess. And I don't know exactly what that looks like for you. I know that there's no way any one of us in this room can do all those things and more that we just did. And this is not to say that our church isn't doing it. We know awesome things are happening. I'm celebrating all the time the good things God is up to here. But that's not the end of the story. And there's so much more. And you have a place in it. And God has something specific for you. And here's the deal. The the best part, like the, the grandest moment in human history, in your history, is when Jesus shoulder taps you. Like he's doing right now. And he invites you into his mission and says, I want you to come with me. And so whatever that thing is that Jesus has put on your heart, and you've heard me say this before, but church, it's true. And I'm going to say it until we're all doing it. It's in every member ministry. It's everybody owning their part of the mission. And so ask Jesus what he wants you to do, the part he wants you to own in his plan. And it might be something that we're already doing and you just jump in with what this church is doing. And it might be something totally new. And if that's the case, call my buddy Brian Hayes, our outreach guy. We'll get it started. We'll figure it out, right? We'll figure out your mission the same way we'll figure out the baptisms. We'll make it happen because that's what it's about. And that's why we're here. So church, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you just to simply pray these prayers with me. And not just over the next day or the next week, but to pray it until we see it. To pray, God, would you raise our church up to be the beacon of light in Louisville? God, would you raise up your people to be so committed to your mission that we will surrender everything, everything for an Acts 2 kind of followership? And will you pray this prayer every day? Jesus, I'm raising up afresh to you. I rise to your mission. Give me the courage to do what you would have me to do, to say what you'd have me to say, to go where you'd have me to go, so I can bring hope the way you want me to bring hope. Would you make that your daily prayer? Jesus, I'm here, I'm ready, I want to be a hope bringer. I'm on board with you. Today I commit myself afresh. Church, let's pray. God, we are so grateful for what you are doing in us and in our midst. And God, for all those who have not yet bowed low with you, 
who've not surrendered to you, who, who've never entered into the water of baptism with you. God, I pray that whatever is hindering them, whatever's in the way, that you would remove those obstacles. That today would be their day. That they would rise up to a new life with you. And God, for all of us who have risen into new life with you, that we would step into that life. That we would be willing to surrender everything. Not just part of it, not just some of it, but the whole of it. To let you lead in every area. God, would you wreck us? Would you break our hearts? So that we might move forward in your mission. God, show us what you would have us to do. And get all the honor, get all the glory, get all the praise from it, God. That's not what we're after. We just want to chase after you. You are who we're after. Do this in our midst, God. Raise up your people, raise up your church. Give us your courage. It's in Jesus we pray.